that generation kind of came along for the first time really and said the building should reflect the human activity that goes inside them. And they should really elevate that human activity. The, the spaces, the buildings should be really designed for what the people do in there. And so a Beaux-Arts building that could be a bank or a church or a city hall isn't necessarily the ideal. What would be the ideal is for the use to really inform the building. And I always love that. Welcome to Human City. Today our guest is Mark Cavaniero, F-A-I-A. He is the founding principal of Mark Cavaniero Associates Architects out of San Francisco. Find him and his work at cavaniero.com. Mark designs tremendous, like crazy civic and cultural projects like the SF Jazz Center, the East Bay Center for Performing Arts, and many community centers, museums, and hospitals all over the country and the world. All places where people interact and a lot of cultural activity is made. So just super beautiful. In this episode, we talk about how he thinks about designing for such impactful projects and how you can too. His progression from hardworking student to the place he is now and how we can think more than just the aesthetic of a building, but how it functions for the people. And his work is totally proof of this concept. So. Mark is honest, humble, and hardworking, and his own worst critic. If you want to pick up some advice from a master, definitely tune in to this episode. Enjoy. Mark, welcome to Human City. Thank you. Nice to be here. Cool. All right. So um, usually I always start. I want um, people to sort of get a feel for who you are and where you come from. Um, What was your neighborhood like growing up? Uh, I grew up in a small town in Litchfield County, Connecticut. And um, it was mostly probably late 19th century architecture. It was very New England, uh, very cold, uh, very kind of conformist in a lot of ways. And I certainly didn't see any modern architecture in my hometown. I eventually did in the neighboring town of Litchfield. And that's probably what got me excited about being an architect. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. And I, I mean, your work in general is really fluid. Like there's no sort of defining uh, trait, which is cool. I think maybe that background <laughs> is yeah. sort of helped that where you, you know, you had that more maybe classical New England style. And as you got exposed to others, it's sort of like this really um, cool area. Cool. So what, why architecture then? Like what, what led you to that and specifically more like civic and people focused? You know, my father was the vice president of uh, engineering for research and development for a, a large tech company in, in Connecticut. And uh, at that point in time, they had hired Marcel Breuer to design his tech center. And when I was maybe 11 or 12 years old, Breuer was designing it and then they built it. My father would come home pretty fatigued about corporate life in general, but excited about his experience with Breuer and designing this building. And he took me up there on a few Saturday mornings to watch it in construction. And my dad was so enamored with the process of building Breuer. I 
sort of thought, this is pretty cool. And um, <laughs> the following year, I entered high school. I went into my high school library during a reading period and started checking out their handful of books on architecture, of which they had maybe a dozen. <clears throat> and I read them all that year. I obviously wasn't doing enough of my homework, and um, but I was filling my time reading architecture work as maybe a 13, 14-year-old kid. And I decided that this really excited me and this was something I wanted to do. So I kind of made up my mind uh, when I was about 14 that uh, architecture, particularly public civic architecture that might be impactful um, was something I, I would really want to spend the rest of my life doing. And I never really lost that enthusiasm for it. Wow. Wow. That's insane. And I mean, yeah, your work speaks for itself. I mean, it's really, really good stuff. Uh, how did you end up in SF? Just wondering like where when, when did uh, that I come up? Graduate school at UC Berkeley. I, ah, yeah. I I went to undergraduate at Harvard. I was going to stay at Harvard. I was admitted there to go to graduate school. And I have an older brother who I admire a lot, who was living in Los Angeles and said, look, you know, you've never been west of the Hudson River. You grew up in Connecticut. You went to college in Boston. You're going to go to graduate school in Boston. You're going to get, you know, your job in Boston, New York, get married to someone from Boston. And you're yep. never going to get west of the Hudson River. So he kind of <laughs> at least applying to UC Berkeley, I did, I was admitted. And then it kind of came over me like a wave that maybe he's right. Maybe this is the time in my life I should uh, try something different. So sight unseen, I went out to Berkeley to go to graduate school. And, and that was my first foray into the West Coast. Insane. Wow. Just made the choice and you're still there. <laughs> I'm still here. I did go to New York after grad school and I worked for a very good architect in New York for about five years. Cool. a lot and um, you know worked a lot of hours had a lot of pressure a lot of responsibility but it was great training and then uh, my wife wanted to come back here she was from the bay area i met her in graduate school and so we decided to come back and within no time it seemed i was off and running with my own firm just trying to make it work nice yeah i mean it's i think a lot of people they look at like yourself and they're like well how did he get to where he you know he, you're doing so well so um yeah, I'm glad to hear that. You know, it, it, it was, there's a lot of hard work and slow steps to get there for sure. Yeah. A lot of hard work, slow steps and determination yep. to, to do yeah. anything well, I think. Yeah. So, all right, let's get into sort of like uh, some of your projects and um, maybe like how you think about them. So I specifically, I want to talk about um, the Park City Museum um, and how do you go into a small town like that and then sort of... Um, it has like a certain character, culture, and then design something that fits in there? A, a great question. They had done a study for the Park City Museum um, where the prior study had intended to tear down the rear walls of these historic buildings. One was the old library, one was the old city hall, and the third was a little fire tower for the fire safety of the community. And I thought they were pretty old buildings with nice rear brick walls. So I thought, well, why don't we just leave those walls and make galleries utilizing them and then we'll do a, a really lightweight addition in back and we look at making it glassy and transparent and having some brick and then some local stone and we look carefully at the stone that was in the town and how to tie it into the buildings on either side of us and met quite a bit with the local planners who wanted our building to um, be the transformation from the new city hall which was a block away from main street to main street to make a pedestrian alley along our building called Dolly's Way and to use it as a kind of um, 
uh, a touchstone for people to queue and move through from the new downtowns of the uh, historic downtown. And so with all those uh, requests from the city about what they wanted our building to do, we started doing them, making a building that was transparent, open, but really use the local materials and the local building heights and try to do both to, to make it new and um, comfortable at the same time. It was a nice, nice project for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I, it's really hard thread to, um, or a l- really hard needle to thread if you, you know, make something unique, but you can't just go and plop a box, you know, in a really classical neighborhood. Like right. it's like, um, it, it's a really hard thing to do. So yeah. Um, kudos. And that's a challenge I, I've, um, liked and I've been faced with a number of times. Most of our work is urban and, um, we're trying to put a new building into an existing block and, I come from a generation that was really trained in the uh, idea, anyway, of having a contextual design of, of building great cities one block at a time. And a series of good blocks makes a great neighborhood. A series of great neighborhoods makes a great city. And so I've always believed that, you know, you really dial into what's around you on, on either side, sometimes more uh, abstractly, other times more literally. But you figure out what makes the most sense for that use in that block and that part of the city. But I've always liked that a lot rather than just doing something that's um, uh, of my own accord without uh, a lot of regard for what's around me. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's such a good point. Um, if you like to build a whole city, you know, I think like the rising tide um, raises all boats, you know, if you're willing to um, sort of make think at that level, the whole city is going to benefit from that, you know? So it's just, yeah, it's, it's definitely a higher level <laughs> design hundred percent. Right. Um, so now you have your, so you're designing the new, um, liberal and creative arts building for broadcast on San Francisco state. You're also doing, um, UCSF, UCSF's Joan and Stanford's Institute for neuroscience buildings. These are really civically and socially oriented buildings um, sort of large, quite larger. I, I wonder, like, how do you, what does it mean to, to design that way, to create these cultural centers? I think, you know, as an architect, I've always loved the, um, really the intentions of the early moderns, maybe 100 years ago now, maybe the 1920s and 30s, but that generation in Europe and actually uh, later in that period in the U.S., really we're trying to be transformative for the human experience to use modern architecture to tie into modern art and to do things that buildings never did before buildings used to be kind of ubiquitous and of a style and be sort of irrespective of how they were used where they fit and that generation kind of came along for the first time really and said the building should reflect the human activity that goes inside them and they should really elevate that human activity the, the spaces the building should be really designed for what the people do in there what they need and so a Beaux-Arts building that could be a bank or a church or a city hall isn't necessarily the ideal. What would be the ideal is for the use to really inform the building. And I always loved that. There was a, uh, an ambition to that and a sense of humanity to it. So I think the first step is, is to really understand what's the human activity that goes on. How do you uh, enhance it, what people are doing there? And then to some degree, I think it's, how do you reveal what's going on inside and how do you make the building transparent and let others see and enjoy and understand 
what makes the city rich and what makes the building valuable. And so I think if, if you put the human activity at the top of the list and how you build on that and share it, the buildings tend to follow suit in a way that's pretty logical. And so UCSF for a while is a neuroscience institute uh, that's all about showcasing the neuroscience research that goes on inside. So the whole building is glass with a metal uh, louvered system around the outside to keep the heat gain and glare and the direct sun from being a problem. So they don't have to draw the shades all day precisely. So they have a nice work environment and the public could see cool. the world-class research going on inside yeah. um, at the San Francisco state liberal and creative arts building. It's about big studios where the students are learning about broadcasts and communications. And we tried to make the building so that those spaces uh, are big volumes and they're self-contained, but where we face the street and face out to the big grounds to the West, it's all light and open and transparent. And you or I could go out there and watch these students at work and, and learning. And those are things we did in other projects in the city, like the SF Jazz Center, or like what we're doing at the Conservatory of Music and yeah. the Civic Center. And it's all about elevating the human activity and using buildings to um, not cloak what people do, but to to really reveal it and and um, make the most out of it. And that excites me. And, and the older I get, the more I realize how difficult that is and how worthy it is for all of us as architects to try and make that happen. Yeah, that's, that's a hard challenge. <laughs> There's no straight solution there. Um, but the work you've done, it's definitely, definitely doing it. I mean, I, yeah, I love that. It's a good point to sort of bring what's happening culturally in these buildings out and to share it. So that's, it's, we, we recently opened the Moscone center about a year ago. It was built in 1979, 1980 as a big convention hall, South of market. And back then people were afraid of the neighborhood. It was a little bit of a tough neighborhood, a little bit crime ridden. And so the building was originally designed as kind of a bunker, all concrete, absolutely no transparency into the lively human activity that went inside. When we were hired, we worked to try and turn the building inside out. So everything that then faced the streets, you know, Howard Folsom Mission would all be open and glassy and, and all the exciting um, showcases of, of uh, endeavors that go on inside would come out into the city and make the city a better place. And so in that case, it was really a question of turning the building inside out. Um, so I think you just have to really start with what are the people doing in a building and um, how do you make that a great experience for them and for the city that will, you know, take, take benefit by what these people are doing. Yeah, totally. Um, this, that, this kind of falls into my next question, but how do you design a community to foster that um, culture? I think transparency, I think clarity. I've always been big on, clarity and not having buildings be confusing or hard to read, hard to understand. So people are confused about what they are, what's going on, where they enter, how they move through the building, what the purposes are of the spaces. I've always liked to have the buildings be, I work really hard to make them seem simple. They're not at all simple. They're very complicated, <laughs> but to get to that goal of uh, implied simplicity, I think you have to really refine, reduce, refine, reduce, and then get it to a point where the five or six really core concerns of the building are really clear and they really work. And anyone going by the building uh, can understand it and be excited about it because most buildings don't have that kind of clarity. And if you get a building that has that kind of clarity, 
uh, I think the community responds and the community really wants to be there because it's fun to be in any space or any activity where there's clarity about what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a great point. It's always harder to make something simpler. <laughs> it takes a lot of, a lot of work to narrow it down. Same thing with writing, I think, I mean, or any creative endeavor. Absolutely. So it's, yeah, that's, um, well said. Okay. So, um, I think I, I only have a few more, so this is, okay. this is great. Um, how do you envision the future of connection, access, and equity in design? Um, still, for me, to be reductive, it goes back to similar issues, really, about the, the reasons we architects design buildings and to do something that makes our community better and um, to connect people, to connect activities, to enable those activities, and to really work at having uh, transparency, clarity, making the spaces flexible so nothing is designed uniquely for one person or only one activity to be done all the time, but to make spaces that can be used morning, noon, and night. Weekdays may be a different use than a weeknight. We have a space at SF Jazz, for instance, called the Joe Henderson Lab, where during the day it's a rehearsal room, it's education for the high school jazz band. Um, in the evenings, they'll have uh, emerging artists perform there. They've done films there. They've let the community use it for classrooms. So it's a very flexible space, but it's a high quality space in terms of acoustics, lighting, and it's totally transparent on the two streets, Linden and Franklin. So people walking by can see the activity going in, uh, inside, going on inside and understand what it's all about and stand, they'll stand on the sidewalk and watch and feel like um, this is really a novel experience for them to yeah. not have the activity shuttered and happening behind an opaque wall. And it feels elevating for the people inside that they're engaging the community and the community is interested in what they're doing. And it's elevating for the public that's walking by on, on the street. So I think the connection is about making the architecture really more of a vehicle for the human activity. You know, if, if you think of the architecture as kind of the bottle and the human activity is the wine, we can't let the, the bottle really overwhelm the wine. You know, we are the vessel for that activity. Yeah. And the degree to which we're a really good vessel and we're a complex, flexible, um, durable vessel that's also uh, elegant and beautiful, I think that's the optimum. And if we can do that collectively as architects, we'll make great cities because yeah. people will really like to be there and do things there. For sure. Wow. Great. Um, yeah, I mean, your buildings have so much, like they have so much presence, but they don't eat the street, you know, like it's like this perfect sort of um, place there. I really, um, yeah, I think you're really going about this right. You know, I know it's, it's a lot easier <laughs> to comment on it later, but I know you're putting in a lot, <laughs> yeah. a lot of hard work to get there. Well, a lot uh, of angst in figuring out how to do it too. You know, and uh, originally when I was first starting off, I wasn't sure what buildings that came out of my head should be, what they should look like, what style per se I would evolve to. Yeah. And in that struggle, in that search, I started finding more and more comfort, I think, in trying to get clarity, trying to get simple forms, trying to get um, this human experience elevated. So I really look a lot at daylight and balancing light, making the light for people to work or to live or to perform their art or do either research, whatever they're doing, to do it in really, really nice light conditions and not under terrible artificial light conditions that are kind of um, 
almost almost in, uh, inhuman in a way because they're fatiguing and they're so artificial. Yeah. And I, I thought early on, I would at least stand by my buildings always being something that had a logic to them and they had a human core that was um, really self-evident. And then if I could do that and then make them beautiful, if I could do that and make them fit into their neighborhood or fit, fit into that city, if I could do that and make them really reflect the aspirations of that client so much the better. And that just became practice doing it over and over again. You know, it's like a musician yeah. getting his reps. And I felt like with every year, with every project, I was getting closer and closer to understanding how to pull those disparate threads together and get a really good building that can try to do all those things at once. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good to hear that because <laughs> I think a lot of us or a lot of the listeners are, you know, probably lost in what they want you know so to hear from your seat that you know you had gone well, we through all that. Are when we start yeah. it's very hard to look at a blank piece of paper and someone says mm -hmm. i want a, a two hundred thousand foot building to do these lists of things and you yeah. get a list that's you know two pages <laughs> long and you have a blank piece of paper and you say well <laughs> you know uh what do i do and then you know the natural thing is to get a little overwhelmed and just start mm -hmm. making a box and stuffing these things in to see if you can yeah. get all these uses to fit into a box and then eventually you realize that's that's just not good enough and and you need to to do much much more than, than just making it all fit and yeah. uh, that just takes a while i think of of uh, doing it over and over again and challenging yourself and getting the reps and and you know being self-critical i've always been very self-critical um i've always looked at all the work yeah. i do as nice. um you know, needing a lot of improvement all the time. And I think if you're fearless about that, being self-critical, you can get your work better and better, but you you can never get confident that what you've done is 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 terribly good. You know, I think you've got to always be willing to tear things apart. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you're a craftsman. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and I've grown comfortable with it. When I was younger, I thought maybe what I'm doing is wrong. I, I should get more of a, of a singular style or a uh, a repetitive direction to what I'm doing. And I realized after a while that that was exactly what I didn't want to do. What mm. I really wanted each building to do was reflect that use, that owner, that site, that city, yeah. and to do something really unique. And if it takes a while to think through it and brood, and then eventually it starts to come forward, um, it just means it's a more singular expression. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. How you're getting more and more comfortable with how you, <laughs> who you are, and the what you're doing. You know, that's that's important. yeah. Architecture <laughs> is a funny profession like that. I think you can be a 20 year old musician. Dwayne Allman died when he was 24, and yep. he's probably the finest slide guitarist you know of the 20th century. And he's gone at 24. I think certain arts, certain fields, you can be absolutely incredible at a young age. I think architecture is one of the ones where maybe that's not so easy to do. There's yeah. so much nuance to it that it takes years of repetition and effort before you start feeling it all coming together. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. All, all your advice has been super clean and um, just makes total sense. So this is great. I'm excited for people to listen. Um, is there anything you'd want to share with the listeners, like any projects, ideas, things you're working on? Well, I think the projects we're working on now are probably larger than most things we've done in the past. And they're very different. You know, we're working on uh, neuroscience buildings, a couple of labs. We're working on learning centers. We're working on 
um, university buildings, uh, courthouses, a lot of housing, urban housing, uh, tall buildings, big buildings. Um, and what I feel better about is I think after getting a certain sense of um, clarity in my own head about how to approach these projects, not as a stylistic formula, but as a method of digging into the site, the program, the use, and the human experience, I feel really comfortable going into almost any building type now that we get asked to design. And I realize that using these kind of human-based um, criteria allows you to get to a really good place irrespective of what the building type is. You just have to be willing to dig into all the buildings gonna be used and what the activity is and what the human element of it is and let that be your guidepost. And so it's taken me a while to really understand that. But um, I think that's the most important thing yeah. for an architect. At this point in my life, working on a lot of bigger, kind of, to be honest, more impactful public buildings. They're in very visible locations or visible sites where if they don't, come out well, they're going to have a negative impact on the city, particularly here in San Francisco, a city I love, and I want to only leave better, not worse in any application. Yeah. So it's important to me to, to really feel like what we're doing is, um, is good. And um, that just takes a lot of reflection. Totally. Foundations, principles. <laughs> how, uh, how can people see your work or get in contact? Well, our website, um, Cavanero.com, C-A-V-A-G-N-E-R-O.com. Uh, our work is, a lot of it is here in Northern California. We have some projects in the Midwest. We have some projects in Europe, a couple in Asia. Uh, we've gotten some diversity over the last 10 years. Uh, an awful lot of it's right here in San Francisco. Um, and someone could come and see the building, which is always best. You can find them easily enough from our website or certainly uh, write me. Uh, my email, I'd always respond to people when they call or they're in town, they want to see our work. My email is mark, M-A-R-K, at cabanero.com, C-A-B-A-G-N-E-R-O.com. And uh, if anyone has an interest in seeing a public building uh, of any sort, I'd be happy to talk to someone about it or make arrangements for them to get in it and uh, take it from there. Cool. Awesome. That's a that's great. Um, thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. This has been a a great pleasure for me. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Hey guys, that is all. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, just send to humancitypodcast at gmail.com or you could hit me up at Twitter at humancitypod or even Instagram at human.city. I love listening. I love hearing it. Please guys, absolutely anything. I'd love to talk. And that is it. I'm Stig. Goodbye, goodbye. Up, up, up.